What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Up in Flames. As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy. And today, I got my guy, one of my aces in the hole over there, Off the Ball Network. The guy who makes the network run, makes the website run. Kenneth Cotterell from the Competitive Hedge Podcast. Kenneth, what's going on, bro? You know, just for you, for today, I got on the Miami Heat jersey. I mean, the, these are pretty sick jerseys regardless. I mean, you, you got to own one at some point. So uh, excited to chat about the Heat today, despite uh, how boring, as we said before we went live, like how boring of a team they can be to watch at times. Uh, the fact that they went on a run this year was a lot of fun. So excited to chat with you about what the future has in store for them. Yeah, and as you said, like I said, uh, I don't usually get into my teams and make it like a team-centric uh, podcast. I mean, I'll always discuss them. Whether they're playing good or bad, at some point they'll have a storyline, whether it's football, basketball, uh, it doesn't matter. But today I felt like, you know, uh, I really wanted to get into the heat, and it's more so the offseason, kind of talk about the success of their season as a whole because I think we're in a world right now where it's like if you don't win the championship, your season isn't a success, but only one team can win the championship. And so when it comes to sports, I'm not a person that says when they walk away and, and without a championship that their season was just an absolute failure. Like the Dallas Mavericks wakes, making the Western Conference Finals was impressive. Uh, you know, the Boston Celtics and, and the Warriors getting to the finals is impressive. One team has to lose. Doesn't mean their season is a failure. I know the players look at it like we play to win championships. So I fully understand that, that from a player standpoint, but a fan perspective and evaluating your team, like I don't think you could just look at this Miami Heat and feel like, oh, we had a our season was a failure. Like it was a realistic shot. We play in Game Seven of the Easter Conference Finals, but like, would you say the Miami Heat season this year was a failure? I don't know how you go to the Conference Finals and it's a failure. When let's face it, if you talk about the teams that were talked about at the start of the year. It was Brooklyn, it was Milwaukee, it was Philly to an extent, and then Miami kind of fell in that area of like with, with Boston, Chicago, with Toronto, Boston. with Chicago of like, what are they going to be, the Atlanta Hawks? Like they were kind of in that cluster of teams. So first of all, the fact that they finish as the one seed in the East is nothing to scoff at. That's pretty, pretty impressive to be the number one seed in the East. You go all the way on a run like this, you beat teams like Philly along the way you beat the Hawks and then you're one Jimmy Butler miss away from potentially winning that game and being in the NBA finals. So I don't know how you consider it a failure. If you're a heat fan, I get it because the heat's kind of in that category of like championship or like, we're not hanging Eastern conference finalist banners. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you get like the Orlando magic go there, that's like, Oh my God, like Orlando's there. We got to hang a banner for this. Like, but Miami and to an extent like Boston as well, Golden State. I think that's why people talk about Dallas being such a success because outside of their one title, like they haven't had a ton of success overall in their franchise history. So when we're looking at Miami, it's not a failure. It's just it's unfortunate that one shot doesn't fall and you're not competing for the ship. Yeah. And when I'm looking at Miami, it's like to go to game seven and essentially like, let's just be honest, Boston was the better team almost every game. Like, uh, you know, our guy Walker is big into the shot quality. You know me, I can't stand analytics, especially when, you know, like even yesterday, like shot quality says the Heat won, 
based on shot quality and who took the better shots. But at the end of the day, like they lost and they went home. So analytics isn't telling me nothing crazy. Like I don't take a, a moral victory by, Oh, we took better shots. And based on our shot quality, we should have won the game because we didn't win the game. So when I look at the Miami heat though, and I, I would have to say Jimmy Butler has kind of proven, I would almost say everybody wrong, right? Like I've had multiple people on the podcast throughout the season and I would always ask them, like, I always want to know, like, why is it? Because I didn't think the Heat were real contenders. Like, I love my team. I would love to see them play for a championship. But I'm just looking, like you said, we're talking about Philly with Joel Embiid. Uh, and then they ended up trading for James Harden, which I guess Harden didn't really work out the way they thought he would. He wasn't playing at the level that you thought. But then you got Milwaukee and you got Giannis. You got Boston and you got Jason Tatum. Like, uh you know, you have Chicago and you had DeMar DeRozan at one point who was in the MVP conversation. You got Brooklyn and they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So when you look at all the teams that you expected to compete in the Easter Conference, Jimmy Butler doesn't necessarily to compare to some of those teams' best players. But then in the playoffs, he turned it up. And we know playoff Jimmy is like, it, it's a real thing at this point. Uh, I think he validated everything he did in the bubble, uh, in my opinion. But you know, everybody kind of was like, well, that's bubble Jimmy. He's not going to show it up again. And then, you know, last season we got swept in the Milwaukee series and he almost didn't look as engaged as he did this year. But Jimmy put his big boy pants on in every series and decided that I'm going to win this game. We, we are not going home tonight or in the Atlanta series outside of sitting game five because his knee uh, was swelling up. He played out of his mind where it was like, we're not losing to Atlanta. I'm not putting this into a six or seven game scenario where where I really have to step up. We're going to end this early and let the rest of the uh, league play out and we'll figure it out next round. And even in the two losses in the Philly series, Jimmy had 40 plus and then he had 30 in two losses. Uh, and then even in game six, like that was an epic, like you could tell Jimmy put his head down and decided that we're not going home tonight. We're going to play in a game seven. We are going back to Miami and we're going to figure out how we can reach the championship. So we've all been kind of big on, we don't know if Jimmy's a superstar because to me, the superstars are superstars in the regular season and the postseason. But what makes them superstars is as great as they are in the regular season, they elevate their play in the postseason where we're like Jimmy Butler's a top 15 to 17 guy in the regular season. But in the playoffs, especially this playoffs, he's played where you're like, you would entertain that he's a top eight player in the league just solely based on how he plays in the playoffs. Like the way he played, you expect like the the, the Kevin Durant, the Giannis, the Joel Embiid's, the, the Jason Tatum's like, even though Jason Tatum is young, he's entering that superstar realm. You expect those guys to elevate that. And he kind of outperformed essentially throughout the playoffs a lot of those players. So what are your thoughts on Jimmy Butler? Even after yesterday, the missed shot, uh, I feel like you could argue all day on whether it was a bad shot or not, but it just depends on how you look at it. Could he have gotten a better shot? I think so. But I think he evaluated the situation and was like, look, we can't go into overtime. We are gassed. We are tired. Uh, I'm tired, and I don't want to play this chance. Like, I have an opportunity to end the game. Uh, so how are you looking at Jimmy Butler? I guess going into next year, like, what, what are your thoughts on Jimmy Butler with this playoff run that he had? I mean, Jimmy was phenomenal all throughout the playoffs. Like, he did have a lull there in the middle of the Boston series, which is another reason why I guess I don't have him superstar. Like, I, I've said it on my show constantly. 
Jimmy Butler has a lot of superstar moments. I just don't think that he's a superstar because of the consistency side of things. I mean, if we're looking back, he had a six-point game, he had an eight-point game, and a 13-point game all in that Boston series right in the middle of it. So he was flat for a little bit there, and part of it is he's dealing with the the knee issue. We know that that's been well-documented throughout. I mean, he's 32, so he's not on the... I guess you could say he's starting the back nine of his career now, um, especially given his knee injury history. But the thing with Jimmy, and I think it's it's tough to judge because... Jimmy's always been on teams with a ton of depth. And I think that's why he hasn't gone like full bore all regular season, because if you look at his Chicago days, he didn't have to be the best guy. I guess he had to in Minnesota, but like he was already wanting out of that place. Philly was a deep team when he got there. And then Miami now has a ton of depth as well. So Jimmy, I think is smart in a sense of why am I going to go kill myself to get 30 on a regular season game against Charlotte when that's not the end goal. The end goal is to go and win a championship. So I'm going to let Tyler have his night. Oladipo have his night. Struess have his night. Robinson have his night. Like, let those guys get more involved because I'm going to need these guys come playoff time. And one of the biggest things that let the heat down ultimately in the playoffs was those guys weren't there on a lot of occasions, right? I mean, Hero dealing with the injury, that that's obviously major. You can't lose the sixth man of the year who basically played like a starter all season long. You can't yeah. miss that guy in crucial games. That was a complete smoke screen last night. He was not ready to go. I think they were more so just trying to trying to worry Boston a little bit of, oh, now we got to take care of Tyler. And they really didn't. But Butler, I love Butler as a player. I love his mentality. I love that he's a two-way guy. He, he loves the challenge of taking on the best players and, you know, Last night was just a testament to that. You play all 48 minutes, only the second time all season, I think is what they said. A guy played all 48 minutes in a game. And Spolster, even with like 10 minutes to go, is they're like, well, are you planning on sitting Jimmy? And it's like, he's going the rest of the way. Like he's he's in. So I think I I the knee thing concerns me. It really does moving forward. I'm wondering if this is his last like special run like where he has as many superstar moments I think next season he could have a few left in him but it is a little bit concerning when a guy is dealing with issues like this consistently throughout his career and so um, I really love him as a player I'm just not sure how much longer he can keep doing it yeah and when I look at him as a superstar um, I think for me he's not he doesn't have the charisma of a superstar like when we think about superstars, like they're people's favorite players, right? Like Kevin Durant has a huge fan base behind them. LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, you know, even uh, Joel Embiid. Like they have a huge fan base behind them that love these guys and and wear their jerseys and, and, and things like that. And I know Jimmy's in some commercials and, you know, they kind of put, but being the face of Miami, I don't think it's the same anymore as it was when like Dwayne Wade was there, but that's because when we were watching Dwayne Wade, especially in the peak of his career, like we knew we were witnessing greatness where because we were getting it night in, night out in the regular season and he would elevate his play um, in the playoffs. And he's had some low moments, just like every other superstar essentially has came up short at some point. But Jimmy's no Dwayne Wade. And I think part of it is because I think had he came to Miami sooner that he would be embraced in that South Beach 
you know, the South Beach vibe and everything like that. And I think that Jimmy would have elevated his charisma and his superstar status because like being in Miami, being a star in Miami, you link with a lot of rappers and ballers and a lot of people with a lot of money. Uh, but with him doing it kind of late in his career, well, he came when he was 29, about to be 30. I think that just has an effect on why we would look at Jimmy Butler as a superstar. And so I want to get into, before we kind of get into the offseason stuff and just hit on some moves that we think they could make, some things that they need to look at and evaluate going forward. Uh, and I have a theory on how this evaluation should go this summer. Like, as soon as the finals are over, I do think there should be a sit-down uh, between three guys, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I want to talk about the Kyle Lowry edition, right? And it's like, you know, all throughout the So preseason, I hated the Kyle Lowry move. And it wasn't about year one. It was about year two and year three because I'm like, bro, Kyle Lowry is, what, 36 years old. We signed this guy to a three-year contract. Like, people were saying when Phoenix signed Chris Paul to what was it, a four-year deal at his age, that they felt like that was a bad contract. There, there were some people that were pitching that that was a bad contract. We're talking about Chris Paul. We're talking about a guy who just helped elevate his team and take him to the NBA Finals, gets a long-term deal for four years, and we're sitting here talking about this is a bad contract. And now we're looking at Kyle Lowry, and we're like, oh, this is a great addition for Miami, but he's had his issues uh, with health, and I'm always concerned about a 36-year-old who's, who's injury-prone. Like, at that point, if injuries are a factor, then I don't even know if you'll be on the roster in year three or you might be on the roster and be a non-factor. And it'd be like a Luol Deng situation where we had to cut you and continue to pay you over the next four to five years for the simple fact, like, it was a bad contract at the time. So, and Kyle Lowry comes out and says, like, 21-22 uh, season was a waste. And I don't really love that he came out and said that because I get it. As a player, you play basketball to win championships. Like, you joined Miami because this was a team, you know, prior to you coming in the offseason, this was a team a year removed from making an appearance in the NBA Finals in the bubble, uh, losing uh, in the first round to the eventual champion. So you're like, I'm coming here, and I'm going to make a difference and win a championship. But you went to Game 7 in the Easter Conference Finals, and you're kind of like, this was a waste of a year when you were a guy who had a lot to do with no-shows, like, especially in the playoffs, like Kyle Lowry did not play exceptionally well. And throughout the regular season, he had some performances that I guess would make my take of not loving the Kyle Lowry deal look bad. But I was pitching to everybody, it's really not about year one. It's about year two and year three for me. The fact that we're going to be paying this guy $30 million at 38 going on 39 years old. But then you see even towards the end of year one, my concerns for year two and year three have popped up because he's been injured. He had the hamstring. Then he comes back and plays. I'm sure he wasn't 100% healthy, but he was a no-show. Like, this guy had three points. This guy had no points, like, in, in big moments. Like, these were big games where a guy like Kyle Lowry kind of needed to change a little bit of the narrative. He's won a championship, right? Like, Kawhi Leonard came. And he won a championship, and he was a big part of Toronto winning that championship, but he obviously wasn't the part. That was Kawhi Leonard. But what do you think about Kyle Lowry? Like, how are you sitting on that contract, you know, in your mind? Like, how are you looking at that contract moving forward over the next two years? I mean, Masai Ujiri is a genius for letting them go. Like, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that should be step one is the fact that the Raptors dumped him and now they got younger and they look promising again instead of paying Lowry what would have been three years, 85. 
Um, I, I was in the same boat as you. I thought year one, it's going to be fine. Um, gives Tyler Hero another year to develop, which he lived up to the bill this year. Um, I thought that the whole idea of this contract was to have Lowry help mentor him. And then by the time year three rolls around, then we're looking at, okay, Tyler's ready to take over as the point guard of this team moving forward with Bam. And then maybe Jimmy's still there as well, but um, Tyler's meant to be the, the future. And then you look at Lowry, like last night was frustrating to watch because you know, end of the third, he goes and he he hits a three and he gets a he gets an and one and everything looks like, oh, Lowry's showing up. And then he had that stretch of like three or four minutes to start the fourth where like he takes a charge, but then you have to you had to challenge it and give up a timeout in order to get it. Then he falls down, calls a timeout, wastes another one of your timeouts. And then you're sitting there with seven minutes to go and you got one timeout left and you're like, Jesus, Kyle, like that, that was a terrible timeout to take. And the fact that you challenged it, I liked the challenge at the time until, you know, that happens. And then you're like, oh, damn, they really shouldn't have challenged that. Like, this is, this was a really dumb move. So I, I have concerns about a 36 year old with bad hamstrings. Like, part of Lowry's game is like being gritty and taking charges and, and doing all the little things. Like, that's what he's built his career off of. But, if you can't stay healthy, how many more of those charges are you willing to take, Kyle? Like, he, he had a couple big ones last night. I didn't think the second one was on Tatum, but nonetheless, he gets the call. And so, yeah, there's got to be big concerns moving forward. Thankfully, it's only a three-year deal. At, at one point, they were talking about it being a four-year, and I was like, geez, if you do that, then you might as well just head on home because you're not going to be winning a title the next four years. But, you know, he... He needed to be better, especially in the playoffs. I know that the the injuries catch up with the guy, but you knew that being Miami when you signed the guy. Like you can't act surprised that the 36 year old that has an injury history suddenly gets hurt, and then you're like, "Wow, Kyle Lowry's hurt!" Like, well, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> like, yeah, this, this has been him for the last five years. So, um, I think, I think Miami's hoping that. Tyler takes the next step and he's the starter next year. I mean, they'll probably start Lowry at the very beginning, but if he can't, if he can't keep up, then Tyler's going to have to come in and take over. But um, I, I would have major concerns with this. I didn't like it at the time because I felt like you maybe could have got a very friendly contract for a guy like a Goran Dragic, even who I'd rather pay for what I would view as the exact same production as what Lowry gives you right now. Like, I truly believe that Goran Dragic would have had the same postseason that Kyle Lowry would have, and he probably could have paid him five, ten million less. So, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it overall, though. You don't love the next two years of 28 and 29 million. Yeah. And I'm going to answer this question uh, before we get into my theory about what should take place in the Miami Heat organization heading into the offseason. And we'll kind of get into a couple guys. Uh, that I feel like they should be looking at. I know you addressed this on your podcast uh, as well today, but how do I feel about them taking back that Struce three? Uh, I think it's BS. Like, and I, it's not about, well, that's why we lost the game or whatever. Like, yeah, I guess when you look in the hindsight of things, like, yeah, we lost the game because we lost by three. They took back that three, right? Like there goes the going into overtime. Um, I don't know if Miami would have been able to handle an overtime with Boston. You know, Jimmy had already played 48 minutes going into overtime. He kind of said that's why he took that three. Like, he didn't flat out say it, but I just don't think they were ready, and that's why he was trying to end the game there because he's like, we're gassed, we're tired, we're hurt. 
you know, both teams were playing hurt. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know Robert Williams is banged up, and I've been watching every game, but I'm going to be honest. Last night, it stood out to me how hurt Robert Williams is. From, from tip-off, he's limping up and down the court. And so, like, salute to Robert Williams for getting out there and realizing, like, this is a winner-go-home scenario and I need to play. Marcus Smart in every game has taken his shoe off and has had to readjust his ankle brace and, and his foot being wrapped up uh, because of that injury. So don't get me – Jason Tatum was playing with a hurt shoulder. Don't get me wrong. Both teams were playing very banged up. So it's not about who was more injured or more hurt with the Heat and Celtics. Salute to all those players stepping on that court in Game 7 and essentially playing as healthy as possible. But that is, I think, the biggest thing that, you know, my guy Zach asked in the question is what happened to human error being a part of the game? And that is the case with the refs. Like, we have refs there in human error is part of the game, whether it's football, it's basketball, you know, it's baseball, umpires miss pitches that are in or out of the box and they'll call it a strike or they'll call it a ball. Like, but that's part of the game and that always has been. And I think in this playoffs, more so than any other playoffs I can ever remember is the reviews were insane in this playoffs, not just the heat game, like just in the playoffs in general, like, the stopping and reviewing, and it happened a lot in that Boston-Miami game, and I'm not saying it swayed both ways. Like, Boston benefited from it, Miami benefited from it, but it's like, damn, that slows the game down. Like, I'm sitting here like, oh, they're going to review that. A guy gets hit a little too hard, a good hard foul, oh, they're going to review that. Uh, he might get a flagrant. Oh, they might shoot free throws. Oh, this is a five-minute delay in a game in an already slow, defensive, hard-nosed, no-offense game, you know, series. They're just slowing it down. And so, like, I like the I, I like the challenge, but like if you're gonna implement one challenge, then I don't think everything else should be up for review. I hate when players step up in a situation and they do this. I hate that because even if they don't challenge it, if everybody does the, the review, you know, signal enough, they will go review that play. And so you do we hate refs, period, right? Like we will complain and dog the refs. You know, Scott Foster almost has a bad name of throwing games for people is what it seems like. And it's like, I'm almost wondering why he's not being investigated. You got players out here who are 0-14 in playoff games refed by Scott Foster and like, oh, to the NBA that has no substance. But human error is part of the game. And if they moved on from that in fast motion, because refs don't ref in slow motion, they see everything in game speed. And so if minutes later, you're able to go back and review a play that's had an effect on the game and we've went minutes into the game where a shot was made at eight minutes left in the third quarter and you go back at the next TV timeout or whatever with five minutes left in the third quarter and you can take away those points. Like, I think that's BS, but that's around the league. It's not just, I've always felt like that. It's not just the situation. Even when they're like, you know, a guy shoots, hits a three, but his toe was on the line. If you don't review it right then and there, it shouldn't be up for review because you know what? In, any, in the NFL, if there's a pass interference, if it wasn't challenged or it wasn't called in that moment, they don't go five minutes down the line after a scoring drive when the game goes on TV timeout and be like, oh, we're going to we're going to derail the whole drive because there was a penalty on second and three and it was a pass interference like oh, we missed it. You know, we got to do better. We got to watch the film and see where we can improve as referees. But I don't know, man, like it's. 
I'm not bitter about it. I just I'm bitter about the situation as a whole, as opposed to like, oh, that Max Struess missing that Max Struess three is why we lost the game. I'm never one to hang my hats on the refs and, and blame refs why we lose games, but that is the that 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 becomes the case, especially in basketball. I think it's more so in basketball uh, than anything else. We've seen plenty of guys miss plenty of calls in other sports, but seems like basketball, especially because you can go back and take away points that happened three to five minutes ago, which had you took them away at that moment, teams might have operated different. They might have called a certain play call differently. You're not preparing three minutes away, you know, of game time, which could turn to 10 minutes. You're not prepared for, you know, all right, we didn't get those three points, so how are we going to operate on this next possession? Like, with basketball being so back and forth, I think it's so paramount to allow human error to be a part of the game or just have robots referee these games at this point. Like that's, that's where I'm at. If you don't want any human error, then allow, you know, we're in an analytic and electronic world. Allow that to be, you know, I guess those are who need to ref is, you know, we need to have those like Rocky Balboa type robots uh, who can dance, talk to you and referee games. If we're not going to allow the human error to play an aspect. So before we close out, uh, I want to talk about the offseason, some moves we think they should make. But my theory on coming to terms with whatever moves Miami feels like they need to make, I think there needs to be four people that need to sit in a room and they all need to write it down, talk about it, discuss it, what they need to win a championship. And I think that's Mickey Arison. I think that's Pat Riley. I think that's Eric Spolstra. And I think that's Jimmy Butler. I think. Because Miami's in a weird spot where, like, you could continue on, trust your young talent to build and always be competitive and have a chance at a championship. Or are you and be good for the next 10 years? Or are you going to play this? We're in a win now mode. I, as Jim, me as Jimmy Butler, I'm starving for a championship. I've been to the finals. I played in the game seven at Easter Conference finals. I want to win a championship in this Heat jersey. Uh, you know, Pat Riley is starving to get back to the championship with having been to what six, I think, since he's ran the team. Bit one with D, or he's been to five, went one with D Wade, they won, went to four straight. Oh, he's been to six because he went to one yeah. in the bubble as well. And Eric Spolstra, like, he's been to five of, of those six. He wasn't there. I mean, he was like the video coordinator, I think, when Dwayne Wade won and Shaq won the championship, uh, back at 06. But I think those four need to sit down. And I think they need to look at these players that are possibly available. As this once the season ends, we'll start hearing about the availability. Contracts haven't been signed yet. So once the offseason ends, we'll start hearing real players' plans. But I think those four need to have a sit down. And I'm adamant that Jimmy Butler should have a huge say so because when you look at every other organization, the superstar has a say so. Kawhi Leonard went and got Paul George because that's who he wanted. He wanted Jimmy Butler, James Harden, or Paul George, and he'd be satisfied. LeBron James went and got Anthony Davis because he said, I need Anthony Davis to win the championship. You know, like some of these stars or the best player on that team get that star treatment. And I think Jimmy Butler has at least earned the right to say, you know what? I love these guys. I love what we can do, but we're missing something. And to ask the guy who's on the court and we ask to put the team on his back time and time again because the other potential players that you expect to improve and get better don't show up. I think that should be the meeting. What do you think about... So I'll ask you, what players should be mentioned in that meeting? Because I think that's how that's that's how it has to go. If you're trying to win championship, I think you got to discuss, do we want to compete? 
with the roster we have now and expect everybody to kind of develop. And if they don't, we'll address it when that situation happens. Or while some of these guys still have a lot of value and you commit to a win now scenario, if you're Jimmy, if you're Eric Spolster, or if you're Pat Riley, like when you're sitting down in that meeting, who are you asking to entertain to go get? Like, who are you like, I want him, I want him, or I want him. So if you're putting a list of players together and you're Jimmy Butler, and this is who I want to play with, like what, what route are you going? I think the main thing that they need is another shot creator. Like, I, I think that's what's been so tough to watch with Miami is that you basically just keep giving it to a guy and then saying, go get a bucket. And like, there's no free flow to the offense. Like, it's very clunky, just like, oh, Butler's turn. Go to the top of the key, post up, go get a bucket. Like, oh, now it's Bam's turn. Oh, now it's this guy's turn. Um, so I think if you can get a shot creator, cause I don't think that shooting is a major need on this team. Cause you can't get rid of Duncan Robinson. Like, let's face it. Like you got to figure out. We'll talk about that. There's a scenario. I think you can, I, I should say it's going to be difficult to get rid of Duncan Robinson. I do think that it's possible because I think that there's a lot of bad GMs out there and there's you, a lot of people me for where I think he can go, but th 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 there's a lot of people. Oh God. I already know where he, I already know where he for, for a trade scenario that I have that makes sense for both sides, but we'll so, talk about that in a second. The issue is when Lowry isn't out there, then no one wants to distribute. That's the other issue I think that you guys have because let's face it, Tyler, he's a shooting guard. Like you guys are trying to make him a point small. guard. Yep. He's he's he's, he's a, a small too. Like yeah, he's, he's a guy who gets a bucket. He's CJ McCollum, in my he's, opinion. He's and not like, a guy that wants to average eight assists a game. It's yeah, just, exactly. It's not a career aspiration for him. What does Tyler want to do? He wants to be 25, 5, and 4. That's what he wants his numbers to be. Gonna get buckets like that, and that's okay because he's a six man. So I'm looking at him more like Jamal Crawford, Mano Ginobili. Like I'm looking at that's his role for the team, and I think you can. I'm not saying he's gonna become a Hall of Famer or nothing, but you can make a Hall of Fame career, or make a Hall of Fame case by being a great six man, especially when championships are attached to your name and your impact as a six man. I mean, you're really six man is a. a you're a starter. You play starter minutes. You just come off the bench. You get a feel for the game from the bench, and then you come in and you're expected to play like a starter. And and you essentially close out the game because they they yeah. they like having him out there. Um, they know that they're probably losing Oladipo. Like he may be thirty, but there's I don't think that there's a cap friendly enough contract that you can give him that's going to get him to want to stay in Miami because there's going to be teams that are going to come calling two years, $30 million type deals. And I don't think Miami wants to pay a guy like Oladipo that. But when you look at this roster, you have like one true point guard. Like it's Lowry. And when Lowry's out, like it's scarce. So I think I think you can get a friendly, you know, Corey, like a guy like a Corey Joseph to me would be like a great guy to run a second unit and like really run an actual offense because it's so clunky to watch because especially like sometimes I think Bam forgets how good he is. Like it's he like, definitely does. He, he, definitely. he definitely sits there at times and he has the ball and he's like, I should be aggressive. And then at the last second he goes, no, I shouldn't. Oh wait, I'm already <laughs> shooting. Like we saw it last night, like the amount of times that he drives in on Horford, he should be bodying Horford. Like I know Horford's a big guy, but Bam's not a small guy himself and he needs to be getting to the rim. And the amount of times that 
he goes into him and he's like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to fade and put up this floater. And then he missed. And you're like, why, why is that the shot? Why is that what you think the down the stretch offense needs to be? You, you either have to take it to the bucket or you have to shoot a mid range. You shouldn't as a center be shooting floaters all the time. So they need, they need a second unit guy. Um, we also know we've already talked about Lowry's hamstrings so much. Jesus Christ, I've never talked about legs so much in my life. But <laughs> the, the fact that he is going to be hurt, you need somebody to come in and it can't just be, hey, Tyler, you go and play point guard. Okay, I'm going to go score 25. And it's like, no, Tyler, we need you to play point guard. And he's like, no, I'm going to get 25. And that's good, but you could do that from the two spot coming off the bench. I'll let Jordan Clarkson not because Jordan's not looking to come in either and, and average six assists off the bench. So I think you can, I think the market's out there that you can definitely find a veteran point guard on a cheaper deal. He Miami's a destination that that's another thing that people seem to forget all the time is like, who doesn't want to live in South beach. So yeah. if you're in the later stage of your career, you have to look at Miami as well. I could potentially win a championship there and go and be their backup point guard and give them some valuable minutes. So. Those would be the two things I think that you need is just because big guys, you're fine in that department. Like, I, yeah. I don't think that size is an issue with this team. I think it's there needs to be more coherent sets, and that comes with shot creation and distribution. And you can find those on cheaper deals, given the fact that you guys have a lot of money tied up in current players. So that that would be my thoughts with Miami. Size isn't the issue. It's definitely unclunking the offense that we saw all postseason. Yeah, so the guy, there's two guys that I would say realistically can be had that Miami could go get. One is John Wall. I mean, we know he's not playing for the Houston Rockets again. He's opting into that player option. He's getting that bag, and they're going to get him out of there. So I think John Wall, and I think to bring John Wall in as your potential starting point guard and have Kyle Lowry kind of coming off the bench with him aging, like, I think you need to have a talk with Kyle Lowry and be like, bro, we will give you starter type minutes, but we think you're better with not having the load of running the offense on you because you're aging. We're paying you this X amount of money and we need you to be there at 37 and 38 years old. And so I know John Wall has a huge injury history, but you got to look at with what you're paying guys like you might have to take on a bad contract because here's the worst case scenario. If John Wall doesn't work then A, you could probably unload his contract at the trade deadline. And even if you don't, that frees up 40-something million on the books for next year. And next year is a stronger free agency class where you, if you got 40-some million, you can look to afford to bring a max contract player and a, a fringe all-star guy alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in free agency where you have the money. The other guy I'm looking at, and it's just because how he plays, he embodies heat cold. Russell Westbrook. Like, to think that you can't go get Russell Westbrook would be insane. Like, the Lakers are probably going to hold on to Russell Westbrook for now because they don't want to attach future first-round picks alongside him. But if I'm looking at, and I don't know how, I know the money doesn't fully match, but I don't know how this would work giving up contracts. But, I, and call me crazy, call me whatever. I'm going to be honest. Like, I like a Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson for Russell Westbrook. Like, I like that trade. One, for both sides, I think you you Duncan Robinson is a shooter. And so, like, LeBron James is the ultimate, like, I will make a shooter a name for himself. Like, you have, you know, he's got Kyle, Kyle Korver, 
uh, and guys like that. Ray Allen at the end of his career was able to play elite alongside LeBron James, Mike Miller. Like you look at all those three-point shooting guys and like they were able to play well and contribute to a championship team playing alongside LeBron James because he's going to get the shooters open and then have Tyler Hero. I think he's he would fill the void for the Lakers of what you want THT to be like. THT was supposed to be the guy that I think Tyler Hero is right now. Do I just want to give up Tyler Hero? No, I don't. But the way he's played in the playoffs and it's even prior to injury, I'm concerned about you're going to have to pay Tyler Hero. You'll end up losing him for nothing. And I don't know if I really want to pay him, especially because I think if you go get Russell Westbrook, and I know people aren't the biggest fan of Westbrook and how he looked at L.A., but at the same time, all those people are the same people that knew this was not going to work out. Uh, when LeBron and Russell Westbrook, like we knew that wasn't a good comparison in the first place. So to think that like Russ is just all the way fried and he's done, I think isn't a fair evaluation when you knew and and you would scream at the top, at the mountaintops that he was in a bad situation from the beginning with that trade, especially you being a Lakers fan, like you didn't love that move. So it's not about, you don't think Russ can play. You're just like, Russ doesn't fit there. But I look at heat culture and it's like, Russ plays hard. Russ is there. He's going to get play 76 to 78 games. He's there. He plays hard while he's out there. Is he always the most efficient? No. But Coach Spolstra will, uh, will fix that up. Like, Coach Spo has a lot more respect, you know, of getting the best out of players than Frank Vogel does. Um, so I'm looking at if you can get Russell Westbrook, if there's a world where you don't feel like you're giving up too much, to obtain a Russell Westbrook, I think there's a trade that the Miami Heat could make. I think those two guys probably make the most sense for the Lakers to look at it as it benefits them too. So I'm looking out for my team and I'm looking out for my guy, LeBron James, where like, okay, you still could be competitive. You and AD, because the Lakers' success all comes down to Anthony Davis's health at this point anyway. So making other moves to try and be a little deeper could probably help that with knowing that AD ain't playing more than probably 50 games and you hope that he's available in the playoffs. But the situation here, I think that this is where that meeting that you're talking about with, with Spo, with Riley, with Butler, this is where you need to ask Jimmy, do we have enough here where if we make some tweaks, we can get it done or do we need to make a splash? Like, because, and I think you need to make a splash, but in a sense if you're talking about a tyler hero and duncan robinson for russell westbrook that is a splash because you are giving up one very young asset one young ish asset for russell westbrook which is a bit of a gamble but from the heat perspective we've already talked about the fact jimmy's 32 he's got knee issues how many more runs has he got left so i think that the splash could be had there and that's where like Hey, if I'm a Lakers fan, I'll take Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson if it means getting out from under Russell Westbrook, just because I don't think that the fit's there. It's got nothing to do with the fact that I can't stand watching Russ play, but it has more so to do with just, I think those two pieces, especially would fit in a little bit better in LA. If you're talking just like, okay, who are guys that are maybe on teams that aren't winning, but you could make a small move and add them like, I mentioned a guy like Corey Joseph earlier. I think you could go out and get a guy like Thomas Sadaransky that's just going to run your second unit. Like, because to me, the, the Heat are right there. And, and Tyler's 22. Like, who's to say that there's not another step forward? Like, I don't think that Tyler's even hit his max potential yet. Bam's only 24. And if you can sit down with him and be like, 
Like if you're Jimmy, you got to be sitting down with him. Like you could dominate at the center position if you just believed that you could dominate at the center position. Because if Bam and Tyler continue to grow, this Heat team is going to be around for a couple years. And if going out and just adding a smaller piece, not rocking the boat too much, is what it takes to get you guys back in this position again next year, then I think you would rather do that than you take the chance. It doesn't work out. Suddenly you've got Jimmy who's always hurt. You're going to have Russ in a bad spot. You don't have the young assets. And then you're just stuck with Bam moving forward. I think I think it is a massive gamble. Now, if it results in a championship, whatever. Like You, you make that move every time. It's the same move that Toronto made a number of years ago where they're like, we could be content with DeRozan and Lowry and Ibaka. Or we can say, you know what? See you later tomorrow. We're bringing in Kawhi. We know he's a rental wins them a championship and then nobody cares now it's like well toronto's still a good young team but they went for they went for it all and it worked so i I don't know i think that's where that meeting really matters is jimmy are we that close like because if you think that we aren't and you think that look i need another star here then we need to make it happen because you only have a couple runs left and we need to make it work for you and that's why i think in that meeting is like if you're Jimmy, you have to, and that's why I say that meeting is, are we in win now mode or are we hope that, you know, the sixth man of the year continues to build, which he very well can. It's not a knock on Tyler Hero. And I'm not saying Russell Westbrook buys you a championship. I mean, there's no move out there that you can make that just guarantees you a championship. Yeah. Unless you go trade for like Giannis or something like, you know what I'm saying? And we know that's not happening. So there's no move out there that just guarantees you. Cause I'm looking at, the moves that you can make of players who could be available is like Zach Levine, Bradley Bill, John Wall, Russell Westbrook. If James Harden was to opt out of his contract or, or whatever, but none of those moves is like, up oh, yet yeah, Miami's guaranteed a championship. But even if you take a gamble on a Russell Westbrook, I think it improves your team. I think he fits in the system that we run in the way we play basketball. I think it fits perfect. And if it doesn't, you might have, because I still think with Russ, they're competitive. They're a playoff team. They could win a series or two. They could reach back to the Easter Conference Finals. And if you don't get over that hump and get to the finals or win the championship, like Russ also brings off 40 something, 47 million dollars on your books in a loaded, up to this point, is a loaded free agency class after next season. So that's where I'm looking like, am I willing to gamble that if I get Russ, we can win some games? We can win a cup. We can win a playoff series or two with Russ. We can get back to the Easter Conference Finals. But if I think he's the guy who gets us over the hump, we get to the finals. We compete for a championship, and even if we don't win a championship, like we clear forty plus million off our books, and we have an opportunity after one more year to bring in some younger star talent players. Where like, okay, we're right back young, we're right back competitive, and we're right back look built like a championship team. And we also look like we could be a championship team for the next five years. So I think that's a big thing with in that meeting is like, are you almost willing to sacrifice next year where you'll have success, but it might not be the championship, but it very well could be. It's like we're gonna flip a coin. This could be the move, but if not, we still open up so much money on the books. We got rid of a Duncan Robinson who's turned out to be a bad contract. Yeah, we lose Tyler Hero, but it turned out to be it was a bad contract. It was bad at the time, but he was part of the core that we felt like we couldn't lose. Essentially, but, so that's th- that was the price. Th- of this is the big play. thing, though, is that and and I think 
to me, shooting in the NBA is like what the wide receiver contracts have turned into in the NFL. We're like, why are we paying a wide receiver like 20 plus million dollars? Like, why are we paying a shooter $18 million? There is only two shooters in the NBA that are worth that kind of money. And they're both in Golden State and not going anywhere. So that's where I hated it at the time. I couldn't believe that you're giving a guy. And normally, like, I'm, I think Riley's a genius. Like, he's one of the best basketball minds of all time. But at the time, I'm like, wow, like, you're really putting all your eggs in the Duncan Robinson basket in a position that a guy can flat out lose it at any given moment. Yeah. Like, like let's face it. Yeah, shooters lose their confidence all the time. And then they go from making 253s to 153s on like five less percentage points. And you're like, damn, like that's a bad contract. And he wasn't even playing in the postseason. Like it was true. Yeah, and that's and why he I was think, sitting. I think there's a way where they got to look at, you know, uh, uh, Duncan Robinson could have some value somewhere. And and I'm just saying, like, I, I would embrace a Russell Westbrook to Miami because of the way they play ball. You have a ball handler um, next to Jimmy Butler. Like, that's why I think it makes sense is because you do have that ball handle and you, you have an opportunity to bring Kyle Lowry off the bench, which will prolong him um, yeah. into those three years of contract because we know, like, okay, there's going to be those nights where we're playing Detroit. We don't need Kyle Lowry to play a lot of minutes. Like, Let's get out there, get ahead of this, you know, get this lead early. Let Kyle Lowry play some minutes here or there. We can afford for him to sit a game because we got Russ and we get one of those cheap point guards as well. Like, I think you could prolong and let it, it will help that Kyle Lowry contract age a little bit better. My only pushback would be going into next season. I wouldn't want to have what 70 million almost tied up yeah. in two point guards. Like, that's essentially you'd have over 70 million dollars tied up in two point guards. So, that that's my only thing with Russell Westbrook. So, but, but, the, but I will say though, when it does come to like that entire situation, there is sense to what you're saying because if you're looking at the Duncan Robinson side of things, like how do you move forward with him? Like you basically just said, like we're paying you eighteen million dollars to sit on the bench, and we have you on the books for the next four years. So if this is a way to get out from under that contract keeping in mind that you only have to pay Russ for the one year. And if it doesn't work out, then you clear the space. So, so I get what you mean. Then it becomes, you know what? We'll send Tyler as well. And if, if Tyler has a great year and you want to pay him, go for it. You be the team to do that, but we're not going to be that team. And instead we clear the space with Westbrook steel and we clear it with the uh, Duncan contract because it's no longer on the books and then you can make a real run at it. So I understand what you're saying from that perspective of like, look, if, if you don't think that this is the the crew, the risk is obviously Jimmy being 34 by the time you probably contend again. And then it's okay. Are we going to see like a guy that ages gracefully like a Chris Paul, or are we going to see a guy that ages like aforementioned Kyle Lowry given his injury history? So that that's where the gamble comes into it. It's always a gamble, obviously in the NBA, if you're going to make moves like this, but just, there is a little bit more given, given the, the Butler injury history. Yeah. I mean, 100%, but like you said, it's always a gamble. So we're going to close out uh, before we close out, let everybody know where they can follow you. Listen to, you know, your daily show that you put out all your daily bets. Let everybody know where they can follow you. Yeah. You can follow me on all social platforms at Compedge pod. 
Uh, we go daily at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. I'll be honest, getting really sad that we're getting towards the end of NHL and NBA. It's going to be a long couple months of Major League Baseball, but you know, maybe we'll throw some CFL in there, some PGA. Might have to start watching ping pong. I don't know. Like We're going to have to find some sports in the middle of the summertime to uh, keep our gambling fixed. But we also go on the weekends at 11 a.m. Eastern time. That's when we go a little bit more in depth because we have a bit more time to do so. But uh, Mo, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun chatting hoops with you, uh, even if it is Miami tonight. Now I can take this stupid Tyler Hero jersey off. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I appreciate you jumping on and basically making this a Miami Heat-centric uh, show. But, you know, with you being on, I threw a little bit of the Lakers in there for, for some possibilities. I don't want to talk about the Lakers, though. So that's why I was completely content with 48 minutes of Heat talk. I, I don't need to talk about the Lakers. It just slumps me into a bit of a depression. So I was completely content talking about a, a team that actually wants to win right now. Yeah, but as always, y'all can follow me at Up in Flames Pod on Instagram at Mo underscore Cheese fifteen. Uh, be sure to subscribe uh, Mo Up in Flames on YouTube as well. Uh, we launched the show live. I, I try and be as consistent as possible uh, with coaching and things like that. Sometimes things get in the way. Just had a birthday, so you know there was no way I was doing a show throughout the weekend because I barely remember my weekend. But I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening, and on that note, Up in Flames is out.